Father surrounded by everything he's created that worships him. And then the Father is just radiating love toward all, everything he's created. I pray, Lord God, that the, the, the love of heaven right now would radiate in this room. That it would become so much more than, than, a, than an acknowledgement of God's love, but it would become a baptism in God's love. Drown us in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if the podium squeaked or my back did. Let's see if we can get to do it again. Ah, good to see you guys this morning. If you're tuning in online, don't forget to leave some kind of comment or something so that we'll know that you're there. If my wife is out there, hi. I like you. <laughs> Starting a new series called Learn to Live Today, and we are heading into Easter and uh, as we head into Easter and we begin to reflect upon and, and really just kind of absorb everything the resurrection means, um, I, this series is intended to help us learn to live in the terms of the resurrection of Jesus and to move the idea of the resurrection from being a theological concept to a daily reality, something that changes the way I live. Um, one of my pet peeves I don't travel away from my church on Easter very often, but if I ever do, it seems like I go to a church on Easter and they talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection is a footnote. And that annoys me greatly. But many things annoy me. I'm kind of grumpy anyway. But uh, it annoys me greatly because the resurrection is, what it's a, is the most important thing ever. Yes. <laughs> Nothing is more significant than the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing has more impact on your daily life than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection is not the end of the story. It's the beginning. It's our new beginning. And so this series is about living in the terms of that beginning and learning to live in the terms of Jesus Christ's resurrection. So a few months ago, back in February, back when Wyoming was being Wyoming, you're like, Wyoming's always Wyoming. You know what I mean if you're from here. <laughs> sometimes Wyoming's a little nasty, and sometimes she's really sweet. And so she was really sweet in February, and my wife and I, in the middle of February, had an opportunity to work in our backyard, and we were clearing off some brush, and you know, it was a really nice day. But we've lived here 18 years. We know what Wyoming's up to. I mean, we're not, we're not dumb. So <laughs> you guys are sitting here going, oh, it's going to be a really nice day, but you look to the weather, you know it's going to be like 1,000-mile-an-hour winds the next few days, and so you're really just going to bolt stuff down this afternoon so it doesn't leave tomorrow all my stuff's in Colorado well bolt it down anyway so um uh we're, we're out there and we have some wood vine over an arbor in our backyard and uh, it's February and this wood vine is so stupid you're like Michael you're not a gardener correct um it's it's trying to bud it's so warm and there's so much sunshine that this wood vine over my arbor is trying to bud in the middle of February I'm like, you are so optimistic, Woodvine. I'll look, check in on you next week. And so, of course, next week, snow, ice, cold, all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I'm looking at this, my, my backyard and, and how it's reacting to the seasons. And uh, I tell you what, life is a lot like a Wyoming winter. <clears throat> life is a lot like a Wyoming winter. You get these seasons 
where, man, it looks like spring has sprung, and then the nasty weather comes back. And what I want to do today is, what I really want to help you with today, everyone, but especially those of you who are struggling right now, it can really seem like you are under it. I mean, you're in a winter of your life. And every now and then you get these breaks and you're like, oh good, it's over. But then, bam, it comes right back. You have to look at your life in the, in the verbiage and in the thinking of seasons rather than days, weeks, months, years, or even decades. You have to look at your life with an undying faith. You, to know that God is, is there, He's with you, He's on your side, he's, he's with you through this. But you also have to have an unflinching look at the reality in which you exist. You, this idea that you can just ignore all the things going wrong in your life and plunge off with a happy, positive attitude, it won't last long. Sooner or later, reality is going to gut punch you. And you need a faith that can sustain the gut punches of life. And that's what the resurrection's about. Jesus didn't just swoon on a cross. He died there. And then he rose again. So that changes the way we live as Christians. It changes the way we look at things. It changes the way uh, of uh, just how our faith can work and how practical it could be. And so in this series, I want to talk about, learn today in particular, I want to talk about learning to breathe. And you'll understand why I picked that title in just a second. Uh, one other correction I'll make. When I was in the corporate world, I worked for McDonald's and I worked for some other corporations. Um, I, I can't tell you how many classes I've had on goals, uh, management type classes, and, and I'm not really opposed to goals. Uh, they're just really discouraging when you don't hit them, right? And I was taught to have smart goals so I could be smart about getting discouraged about the goals that I couldn't hit. You know, they had to be, they had to be, oh, what'd they have to be? Oh, my goodness. They had to be specific, measure, you probably know, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. I think that is great American thinking, and I think it's lousy Christian thinking. Uh, I don't know if you know this about God, but he is not time-bound. And we come to God with these microwave goals and God is a God who works on millennia and eternity. You know, it's not even, I used to say, you know, we're, we're using the microwave, God's using the crock pot. I've recently learned about fermentation of like cabbage and kimchi and things like that. And I'm, I'm learning that there, you know, there's a microwave, there's a crock pot, and then fermentation takes weeks, months, and sometimes years. Depending on what it is. And so God works on a different time frame than you. So if you want to get discouraged, pick your own goals and then put a time clock on them. If you, if you want to be encouraged, let God pick your goals and wait for him to accomplish them in your life. So today I want to look at a story that, uh, that we talk about a lot. Jesus had a habit of entering like hopeless situations. He loved to, just seems like it was his thing. He loved to just, where it's hopeless, I'm going there. It's just a very Jesus thing to do. And so today we're going to look at the story of the Lazarus resurrection. And I want to look, I, this, normally I have a three-point sermon. It lasts about 45 to 50 minutes. Today I have six points. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. 
<laughs> Thanks, Bruce. That was the best thing ever. <laughs> I wish it would have went out on the stream. Oh, my goodness. So I'm not going to read the whole text, but we're going to just look at little pieces of the story of Lazarus. And in John 11:3, this is where we begin. In John 11:3, we find out, so the sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent a text, I mean a message to Jesus. And I want you to see this sentence. This verse should stand alone. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. What, what an intro. What a text message. See, we don't know a lot about Lazarus. We, we meet him in, in uh, John 11. He's mentioned a couple other places. Um, we, don't, we don't know what he did for a living. We know he was Mary and Martha's brother. Uh, we know he was dead and <clears throat> got over it. Um, There's one thing we know, though, right from the beginning. First jack out the box. It's a southern term. It's, they, they come up. It's going to be all right. One thing we learn quick, fast, and in a hurry is he was loved. He was loved by Jesus. That's the first thing that we find out about him. Now, why does this matter? <laughs> because I know, I, I, we talk about this all the time. But just because we talk about it doesn't mean we've got it yet. We talk about the, the reality that God loves you. And you've heard me say probably a hundred times, yes, I know you think God loves you, but stop it. God loves you. Now, here's where I want to go with this today. The love of God, we just sang about the love of God being a firm foundation. That is exactly what we need to understand. Your Christian life cannot advance any further than your ability to receive God's love for you. Did you hear that? Your, your life for Christ, your growth as a Christian, cannot exceed your ability to receive God's love for you until you know that God loves you, and then you know again and deeper and more profoundly that God loves you, and then you know again and deeper and more profoundly that God loves you. Your faith is going to remain static. You're going to live in a place of self-reliance and human effort. What that means is you are forever going to be trying to get a God who loves you to start loving you. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. Any of you, oh man, I should not meddle. Okay, just any of you guys, well, this isn't really meddling. This is Michael messing around. Any of you guys have your, you like, you took your wife on a date and you put your arm around her, maybe you caught a movie and, and all night long, you know, you were trying to say all night, I I love you, I love you. You got to the end of the night, you got ready for bed, you laid down together, and she rolled her and said, did you still love me? Has that ever happened to you guys? <laughs> Spent all night trying to love your wife, and she's like, for like one second, you went to the bathroom, came back, and she is now not knowing whether or not you love her. <laughs> Men do it too, we just do it in a more masculine, grunty, hairy, ape way, but still, it's, it's kind of the same. <clears throat> What's my point? Your life on this earth as a follower of Jesus is going to be a continually deepening realization of Father's love for you. And do you know what heaven is? Heaven is standing in the presence of pure love and receiving that. And the worship that's happening in heaven today and that will happen there in eternity is merely a reflection of of the awesome love of God 
toward everything that he has made and created. And so you have to start with God's love for you. Jesus, I can hear Mary and Martha, Jesus, the one you love is sick. I don't know much about Lazarus, but I know Jesus loved him. I may not know much about you, but I know this, Jesus loves you. What they taught you in Sunday school or VBS or on some sign, Jesus loves you. I don't care where you saw it. It's the most true and most profound thing you're ever going to encounter in this human life. And we as Christians have to learn to receive it and stop trying to earn it. Let me tell you what that looks like, trying to earn it. Most of you, your prayer life are a continual pleading with God to forgive you. Most of you, your prayer life is a continual pleading with God to forgive you or some failure or some sin in your life. And that is all, that is your life, your Christian faith is stuck right there. If it moves beyond that, what most people do is they move into things of human effort. Okay, if I study the Bible more, if I go to church more, if I give more, if if I do more for God, if I pray more for God, maybe eventually at some point I'll start to feel Forgiven, loved, known. That's a heresy. That's a fallacy. You will never be more loved than you are right now. You will never be more loved. You, you, can, you can give all your money to some church or some outreach. You, you could sacrifice your life. You can lay down everything. You could give it all up. It will not make God love you one iota more. I, I don't care if you just screwed up the worst you've ever messed up last night. And you're here today trying to get past the guilt and the shame of that. Jesus Christ died for that. It's under the blood of Jesus. There is nothing you can do for God to love you more. Do you understand this? And if you're sitting there right now, but Michael, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel loved. I don't feel known. I understand that feelings are liars. I love my wife more than I love to breathe. And she doesn't always know or feel confident that I love her. But I do. Sometimes I'm grumpy, but that's another sermon. Okay? Look at what Paul said. Oh, by the way, you know, we should do this. Steve kind of did this earlier. So, uh, let's do it anyway, because you you didn't believe it when Steve did it with you, so let's do it now. (laughs) Hello, my name is Michael. Let's do it together. Hello, my name is Michael. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that Jesus, all together. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Do you know what I love about Jesus? He's always saying, I am. He's always, and it really ticked people off. Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. And so people would ask him questions. He'd say, I am. And they would say, that's the kind of stuff God says. (laughs) And Jesus would say, I am. I know who I am. I know my identity. I know I'm loved by the Father. I know it. And so when I say I'm the one that Jesus loves, I'm making a godly statement. Because God's the one who says, I am. I'm called to be like my Father. I'm called to be godly. I'm called to be godlike. 
And an I am statement is a God-like statement. Does that make sense? You have to start here. If you don't start here, you're going to spend the rest of your life working for you don't even know what. And you feeling insecure, buried in guilt and shame, never truly receiving the simple, powerful, profound reality that your Father God radically, ridiculously, and overwhelmingly loves you. Amen? Amen? I thought that was good. I probably would have got excited. I might have said amen or something. You never know. Sometimes I get excited. <clears throat> Paul prayed this for you. He said, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. So uh, you, are you all God's people? Yeah. You're at least some of them, right? That you may have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Do you hear what Paul's praying for you? He's saying, I want God's people to know how ridiculously loved they are. This is the beginning. It has to start here. Until you can receive God's love, you're stuck. As long as you're in that shadow of guilt and shame, feeling like God could never love you, that's a lie that's keeping you trapped and bound down. You have to realize that you are someone that God loves. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. Michael, you really developed that point. Yeah, but you still don't have it, you know? I love you. I, love, I still don't have it. I will spend my whole life learning and receiving and growing deeper and more profound into the reality of God's love for me. That is the Christian walk. It's not just part of it. That is it. Okay? So the next time someone harasses you, you can say, hey, but I'm the one Jesus loves. The boss says, hey, I'm sorry, we've got to let you go. Hey, I'm the one Jesus loves. Your wife says, you know, you, you're, you weren't handsome when we got married. You're uglier now. I'm the one Jesus loves. <laughs> Michael, stop hamming it up. Okay, you're right. I should move on. <clears throat> so we need to learn that Jesus loves you. The second thing we need to learn is that Jesus is up to something in your life. Jesus is up to something in your life. So John eleven four, 4. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end... That's a key word in that sentence. Will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. You know what's really important that you see in that verse? That Jesus said that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. What you need to notice is Lazarus died. Lazarus died. This is important. Why? Because we expect God to do stuff according to our expectations. We have a plan. God has a plan. We're like, that's nice that God has a plan. But my plan is better. <clears throat> my plan is less scary than God's plan. My plan makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. No, no. God likes roller coasters. And he likes you in the back seat screaming at full speed. That's how God likes it. He loves that. <laughs> He loves that look of terror on your face. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What's my point? My point is God has a way of showing up after, after, after 
it's too late. If you'd have asked Noah, you know, like, how, how long was he working on a boat? 100, 120 years? That's a long time. Building a boat. No one even knew what a boat was. Why? Because it was going to rain. No one knew what rain was. And here's Noah out there every day building this boat every day. People mocking him, laughing at him. That was not a good time. A hundred years of ministry, all he has to show for it is his own family. Nobody else got on board. That sounds really discouraging. And yet, Noah gave birth to a whole new world. Walked out of that thing. What about Moses? God says, hey, I want you to go. God gave, him, God gave all these guys their goals, by the way. And he gave Moses a goal. He says, I want you to go and you're going to deliver my people. Uh, you know how many times he got a no? Let my people go. No. Let my people go. No. He, in fact, he stopped going. He started sending texts. Let him go. No. Let him go. No. A Facebook post. You're going to let him go now? No, no, no. But then on that 10th time, he didn't even have to go in. That time, that time the text came to him. Get out. <laughs> God has a way of showing up after it's too late. It's just the way that things work. Lazarus wasn't just sick. He was dead. But Jesus said it wasn't going to end in death. What does that mean for you and me? Well, it means that God is up to something in our life. God has this plan that's in play. He has things going on. Never confuse the middle of the story with the end of the story. I, I like a good action novel or something fast-paced, maybe a spy novel. You know, you know what I've noticed about guys who write those novels? They set up their hero or heroine, whoever it's going to be. They set them up, and then they make their life worse. And then it gets worse. And then you're like, oh, it can't get any worse. And then it gets even worse. And that's the story. You just go from worse to worse. Oh, a little bit of, oh, no, it's worse again. That's the story until finally, finally at the end, the author comes in and boom, everything turns around and the hero wins. And I mean, if it doesn't have a happy ending, I don't read it. I'm just telling you. When I get a book, I go to the last page. Is they still alive? Okay, I'll read it. You think it ruins the story? I cannot handle the stress of, of getting to the end of the book and being sad. I can't take that, all right? I need a happy ending. People that don't, anyway, I, I'm sorry. Let's stop talking about me. My point is simply this. You're in the middle of a story right now. You're in the middle. It's not the end. The plot's still thickening. It's still developing. We're not to the end because in the end, we know how it's going to end. We know that because of Jesus, you win. Your Goliath is going to be laying headless in the dirt. Whatever came against you will be defeated. I read the last chapter. Jesus wins. Okay? You're in him. You win. Okay? Does that make sense? I don't know the plot. I don't know where you're at now. I just know in the final chapter, there's victory. The next thing I want you to see, there are no obstacles that are too much for Jesus. There are, I want you to learn, we need to learn, there are no obstacles that are too much for Jesus. John eleven eight, his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? See, Jesus went to Lazarus at risk of his own life, and he didn't care. He was okay with that. All right? So he goes to them, and I want you to know that in this case, in your case, 
Jesus is not frightened by the things that are frightening you. So you could right now take a list of your life of the stuff that scares you. Uh, the things you're worried about. The stuff that's keeping you up at night. You could, you could write all that stuff down. I don't think you should. You don't really want to document that. But still, just you could write it down. And you could look at everything on your list and you go, well, Jesus isn't scared of this. Jesus isn't scared of this. Jesus isn't scared of that. Jesus isn't scared of any of these things. There's only one thing Jesus was scared of. Only one. You encounter it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, was a, he feared God's wrath upon sin that he was about to endure. That was the only thing Jesus feared. And he took that on for you so you need never fear that. Does that make sense? Jesus is not afraid of the things that are frightening you. In fact, the things that are frightening you are afraid of Jesus. I don't know exactly how your story is going to end or how this season is going to develop in your life. But I know this. Jesus will be there with you. He will walk with you through it. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said that you are more than conquerors. All of these things are true no matter what you're going through. You will win. But, but, I'm also human. And I get afraid. I know that between here and there, between what's happening now and my victory, there's probably something called suffering. That's what we're afraid of. That's what we're afraid of. That's why Jesus suffered on the cross. He identifies with everything that you suffer because of what he suffered. So you're saying, okay, Michael, well, I'm afraid of suffering. Me too, but let's ask ourselves a question. Why? We have a God who comes near to the brokenhearted. We have a God who comforts us when we grieve and mourn. We have a God who through his son said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have a God who said through his son, that, uh, through the writer of Hebrews, that he is able to save them to the uttermost. I don't know what uttermost means, but I'm thinking it's like way out there. The worst thing that your suffering is really going to do in your life is bring God near. The problem with suffering is when we're in the middle of it, we don't feel like God is near. Why is that? I don't know. It could be because we have an enemy who likes to blind us and deafen us to the reality of God who said he would never leave us or forsake us. Who are you going to believe? A God who put his son on the cross for you or an enemy who would like to see you die? Who are you going to let speak into your mind and in your heart? So if you are in this season of difficulty, a season where you are suffering right now, you are not alone. You are not by yourself. In fact, you are being carried more than you know. The, father, the Father's heart of love toward you is thicker and stronger now than it has ever been. And one day, the mountain that you're trying to climb, the valley you're trying to go through will be in your past, and the person you became in the midst of that journey will remain. Do you understand? Jesus knows there are obstacles and he has a plan for your life and he is not scared of those things that are frightening you. In fact, those things are scared of him. I love, I love what Paul wrote. I, I love Paul because Paul was just the right amount of jerk. You ever met someone who was just the right amount of jerk? So, 
But here, here what, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. He says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? I love it when, when Paul just thumbs his nose at death. Loser! You lost! Jesus beat you! The enemy is terrified of Jesus. The enemy is terrified of God the Father. Do you know who you look like? Do you know whose image you bear? You're made in your father's image. You look like dad. And the enemy is scared of the reflection of the father God in you. Remember that. Remember that. He lies to us. He tells us that we are less than, not enough. So remember that. Move on to learn that Jesus has a plan in your life, that, not, that there are no obstacles that are too great for him. Also learn that Jesus is your life. John eleven twenty five twenty six. 26. This is one of my favorite passages. I, I use it a lot. It says, Jesus told her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. There's another one of those I am statements. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? What is he telling us? Your, your health, your friendships, your finances, those are all important. But they're a part of your life. They're not your life. They're not your life. In fact, how I would say it, and this sounds maybe a little bold even to me sometimes, but I would say that you are pretty much invincible until your appointment with the Father. It's appointed the men once to die and after that the judgment. Until, you, until that appointment, I, I would say you're pretty much invincible. Why? Because your life doesn't depend upon your health as much as it depends upon Jesus' life. He's the creator and sustainer of life, Colossians chapter 1. You, his life is your life, Colossians chapter 3. He's your life, not you, not your strength. And so we need to learn that Jesus is alive. And, and what, my favorite thing, and I share this every chance I get, is this. If someone believes in me, they'll never see death, is what Jesus says. That tells me, and, and I, I get to share this every time someone's facing dire circumstances, the simple reality. Jesus promised that as, his, as a believer in him and a follower of him, that you will never, ever die. So that when this house of clay, when this body that hurts and aches and gets sick and all these things, when this thing finally dies, you don't die. You life. You life. You step out of this this dead weight you've been living in your whole life and the older you get the more dead weight it feels you step out of this and you step into life like you've never known and it's a love like you've never known jesus is your life let's get that straight jesus is your life the other things are important but they're part of it they're not it so learn that jesus is your life and then john eleven thirty three. 33 I love the re- resurrection of Lazarus because of, let me just read it. John eleven thirty three. 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply 
trouble. Wow. Do you think he was worried he might not be able to resurrect Lazarus? Couldn't have been that because he already said, Lazarus, not gonna, his sickness is not going to end in death. That was not it. This, okay, Michael opinion. This is not, probably not sound exegesis. You're like, what's exegesis? Well, it's, never mind. <sighs> it's not even about Jesus. It's about interpreting the words. But, but I believe that Jesus takes death personally. The Bible tells in Colossians 1 that he's the creator and sustainer. That he was the one that, that, that was the word of God that spoke this into existence. So this world that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created was a world that was not created to know death. So I think when Jesus sees death, it makes him mad. I think he liked to mess with death until one day he just, one, beat death. And one day death will be completely under his feet and under his rule. My, my point is this, I think Jesus takes death personally and i think to you you need to learn that jesus takes your death personally if i could share a personal story a few years ago i lost a friend who had been battling cancer for a number of years i mean i hate death but this was one of those situations that it was close enough that i was literally ticked off for like a month i was just mad that that this person, they were a believer. I mean, they, they, were, they were a rough believer, kind of like me, but they were a believer. And they, they passed away, and cancer took their earthly life. I was so angry for a while. Now, if I'm that angry, and, and I'm not the creator, I'm not the lover of all mankind, I'm not the one who took, laid down his life and took death to the grave and, and beat him there. How does Jesus take it? So I want you to learn that Jesus takes death personally. The next thing I want you to learn is how to hear your name. I love this scene in, in John 11. Here's Lazarus. You know, he's in the, they've just opened the tomb. And, and there's a crowd around, and they're all saying what you're probably saying here at church this morning. This is weird. This is weird. They just opened a tomb. It's been closed for... Four days, it's probably going to start stinking here in a minute. You were probably thinking that when you walked in. It's probably going to start stinking. Never mind, so. And I love how Jesus says, <laughs> he's the resurrection and the life, right? He just says this. I'm the resurrection and the life. He's the life. He's the power for life. And I believe, this is a Michael Maynard, like, hyperbole stretch here. But I think if he hadn't said Lazarus, think he would have emptied that whole graveyard that would have been so crazy I mean <clears throat> but he didn't he said Lazarus Lazarus come out he said his name uh, let's back up the clock some millennia let's go back the, the the world's just been created got that shiny new smell going on a new car feel happening and God has just formed Adam out of the clay, out of the, the, the dirt. And the Bible says he breathed into him the breath of life. And that pile of dirt became a living soul. And here we have the resurrection and the life calling out Lazarus. By the way, when God created him, he called him Adam. He returned from man. He called out his name. One day... Maybe several days. 
God's going to say your name. That's when you'll leave. Sometimes you'll hear it in this life, and, and God will call your name, and he will awaken you to something you didn't know you could be awake to before. And so I, I think it's important that we learn to hear God say our name, that we learn to allow God to, to breathe into us and give us the breath of life, uh, to breathe life into us. And then the last thing I want to point out from this lesson, uh, which I might have to laugh a little bit. So Lazarus come forth, and then here he comes, walking out of the grave. Been dead for four days. Everyone's worried about the smell. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face is wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them to unwrap him and let him go. I love this scene. I, because what I'm envisioning, <laughs> just because I've been in church a long time, um, <clears throat> I'm envisioning this mummy-like dude, you know, coming out, wrapped up. And you're like, well, that, that's the wrong time period and wrong people. Well, still, I'm just showing you what's in my head, so hang with me. And, and, and then here's Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. And I could just see some deacon come over and push him down and roll him down the hill. <laughs> unwrap him. <laughs> Miss Linda's keeping me on track. <clears throat> Michael, why did you even tell us that? Well, to make you laugh before I, before I snuck in with a left hook right here. Sometimes, sometimes that's how church feels. It doesn't feel like we're being released. Sometimes it feels like there's people around us going, you stink. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is simply this. That may have happened to you. But you still need, we need each other. Just because some church somewhere or somebody who called themselves a Christian or may have been a Christian hurt your feelings does not mean that now you have the freedom or even the ability to go on and do your Christian life by yourself. Can you imagine the situation Lazarus would have been in had God released him from that grave and the people had not released him from his grave clothes? That's the work of the church. This is what the church is here to do, to help each other be free. Does that make sense? We have to learn this. Because there's, you, you know, I can speak honestly here. I've tried to do this by myself. I have. In fact, most of the people that I know that, that have been in ministry or have been leaders in church have been down a very similar path that I have trod. And here's what I have learned. I can't handle me. I, I cannot see my blind spots. That, that's one of the reasons God gave me a wife, because he knew I would need adult supervision my entire life. <laughs> you can't do this by yourself. You can't follow Jesus alone. And some of you are trying, because you went through a season, and maybe someone or a church or a pastor... He didn't handle it the best for you. I don't know. They were probably doing the best they could do too, but you got to remember, we're all just a bunch of sheep. We pastor guys, 
we're, we're, not like, we're not like over the sheep. We're not over here telling the sheep what to do. We, we are just trying to follow the shepherd. That, that's, we're just sheep following the shepherd. And usually we're sheep that have made a lot of dumb mistakes and it got lost and the shepherd had to come drag us back to the flock. That's who usually ends up in leadership. But really we're all just a bunch of sheep and we bump up against each other. We annoy each other, but we still need each other. We still need each other. You see, Jesus Christ died on a cross. That's awesome. He rose again. That's impossible. That's impossible. The basis of your faith is an impossibility that you know is a reality. And so it changes the way that you and I live, and we have to, 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 to move forward in our faith, and we have to learn to hope when there's no hope, we have to learn to press into things that are impossible. We have to learn to trust when we don't know why we're trusting. We have to learn to breathe. Lazarus forgot how to breathe for four days. And it took Jesus saying his name for him to learn to breathe again. And that's exactly where some of you are today. You've forgotten how to breathe. Your faith feels dead. Your faith isn't enlivened by you. Your life is Jesus. Jesus is life. And he's up to something in your life. And you're going to like it. You're going to get to the end of this story and you're going to go, man, that's a great story. You might even forget you lived it. You're going to see that because of the resurrection at work in your life, you, you have hope when no one else does. You have, you have someone with you when no one else does. And so this begins, and right where we started today, we have to start learning to breathe by receiving, inhaling, if you will, the love of our Father. And so that's where I want to conclude right now. If I get the worship team to come up, I want to finish where we started with a simple request that today during this final worship session, as we go through a couple of songs, and, and I'm, going to have, I'm going to be over here behind the prayer sign and some others will be with me to pray for people. My, our prayer today is that you will experience and receive the love of God in your life. It will breathe life into your faith because he is the life of your faith. And that's what I want to pray for you, to learn to receive God's love for you. The other things that we can learn start with receiving. Father God, here we, we've been together, your kids. And Father, we, uh, <laughs> whew, we struggle. We struggle with our lives, we struggle with what we're going through. There's some big things going on in this room, things that people outside not only don't know about, but don't even understand. And the, the, the suffering that's being endured by many lives in this room is unknown to most of the lives in this room. In that, Lord, I know the enemy speaking his lies. God doesn't love you. God, God's the one doing this to you. You're being punished. You should try harder. You really should... You're just doing it all wrong. Bunch of stupid lies. And when the God of the universe took his son and put him on a cross and paid for 
every failure and every sin and every stupid thing you've ever done or said, and then not only put him on a cross, but three days later raised him out of the ground, proving without the shadow of an intimidation of a doubt in Christ Jesus that everything is paid for. Lord God, I pray that you would love on your people today. I pray that as we worship and as we sing, that people would connect with Father's love, that they'd be able to receive it, that they'd be able to say, Hi, my name is Michael, and I'm the one that Jesus loves. And that would sink so deeply within our hearts and in our beings that we could stop operating from a place of guilt and shame and trying to earn things. But, Father, we could live a life that is a response to the love of God, a life of true worship that doesn't come from a place of trying to get but from a place of awe at what we've received. I pray in the name of Jesus to release the Father's love in this place at this hour right now. 